a study about sexual activity amongst generations showed lower rates of masturbation compared to other generations, but similar rates of other types of sex. And that's something that came up actually in a number of the studies was just that all of the generations are having sex and, and that really millennials are the ones doing less of it. But just that that doesn't really decline as much with age as I think people tend to think that it does or kind of the stereotype is. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're taking a look at age and how it affects relationships, sex, and dating. We're going to start off by talking about some generalized findings about how our age and the generation that we're part of tend to affect how we approach relationships. And then we're going to move into looking at age gaps in relationships, some challenges to look out for, and some ideas on how to approach those types of relationships in the healthiest possible way. So we, your hosts, we are the ages that we are, and we are the generation that we are. Unfortunately, I don't have any experience being any other. I mean, I guess I have experience being ages younger than my current age. I don't have any experience being older than my current age. I don't have any experience being a different generation of what I am. So all that to say, of course, we're limited in our experience as to what we can speak to. So we're going to be turning to some research in combination with our personal experiences, as well as the experience of our listeners, things that we've heard from people when we do workshops, working with clients, things like that. So I would love to get this whole age boat rolling out of the harbor by asking... Boat. That was, cool. I don't, you might have mixed a couple metaphors there. Well, like, no, I Sorry. imagine like a, like a river boat, you know, it's got uh, that big yeah. rolling oh, yeah. kind of okay. paddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a That's Disneyland. Fun. Yeah, yeah. All on board the riverboat of age, everybody. Aren't we all, though? Aren't we all? We we are. We can't escape, can we? (laughs) No. We never get off until we die. That's it. (laughs) Okay. What ways do y'all identify with your generation? And are there ways that you don't? Yeah. Being millennials, all three of us. Yes. This one... I always find interesting because I'm right near the cusp. I'm like within a year of the You're beginning, an elder millennial. I guess, of millennials <laughs> to Gen X. And so I have found that for me, I do kind of see some similarities with Gen Xers that I think other younger millennials don't, even though I probably still identify more in the millennial category, I guess. Um, what are the Gen X? things that you think that you manifest being a cusp, a cusper. You know what? That's, that's the thing. It's honestly really hard to put my finger on what it is, but it's like one of the things that really defines Gen X, I think is that they're the generation that I, I think of them as the generation who created computers. That's like not truly accurate, but that's the generation that kind of pioneered bringing computers into our homes and like making those a part of our lives. And that, Millennials, I feel like it's more like we all got computers as kids versus Gen Z, which is like you had a smartphone since you were one, right? Like in terms of how we relate to technology. And so I think just being on the older side of millennials, when I encountered computers was maybe more similar to the way that Gen Xers did compared to millennials, you know, just by virtue of being a little older. And yeah, I don't know. I I guess that's what comes to mind. I think I relate to when people often talk about the promise of getting older and having things and benchmarks in life. And I relate to the notion that millennials like kind of blew that out of the water and it doesn't exist for us exactly. It's not necessarily our faults, but kind of the product of the situation that we were born into in a lot of ways. And you know, 9-11 and the crash of 2008 and all of those things. It's just we've had to, like, forge 
the river. I'm going back on that. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay that so we're, we're not even on the steamboat. We're like in a little paddle, paddle canoe. <laughs> yeah, or like, like we're in Oregon Trail, which I find very much is a millennial game. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of the millennials were in a little canoe wearing our, our vintage camp t-shirts. Yes. Because right. it's like fun and ironic. <gasps> going to camp. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, boy. no. It, it, and I'm like a, in a gig economy so much. And I mean, look at the two of you. You don't even like have like a, an established place that you are at all at all, any given time like you can go and do anything you want and that's like so different from the generation before us and our parents generation and it's just we've very much created our own thing so the fact that i'm 33 and yeah i mean i don't have kids i live in an apartment with my boyfriend and that's it <laughs> Like, we have cats. You know, it's very different. I have, like, multiple jobs to, like, keep my head afloat. So, yeah. It's interesting that you bring up the the gig economy and gig work thing because it brings to mind conversations that I've had with my aunt over the years, my aunt being a baby boomer, where, and I've gone through many phases in my life, pretty much never in my life have I had, like, a salary job, a desk job, something where my paycheck was actually super regular. It's always been pretty much gig to gig to gig to gig or hourly work, you know, where it's very much dependent on what your hours are. And my aunt, so many times over the years, always expressing, I would say, maybe a little bit of admiration where she's saying, like, it's amazing that you can be so flexible. Like, I just I just don't think I ever have or ever could adjust to not being sure when the next paycheck would be or exactly how much it was going to be. Hmm. And yeah. I get that. And basically my whole life, like as I've had all those many conversations with my aunt, I've always been like, I can't even imagine anything other than this, which at times has really sucked. You know, gig work can really suck very hard because you can be very much feast or famine depending on what it is that you're doing. Where I'm at right now, where it's like my more flexible self-employment is a little bit more consistent, then it feels great and feels freeing. But that is really interesting that that I do think that a lot of my formative years, it was very much the sense of like, I can't even imagine a different job economy because I've never experienced anything other than this. Yeah. And so what about how you feel your age? So not just your generation, but do you feel like you are the age you are or do you feel older, younger? Which is man. I swear to God, I feel like from the moment I popped out of the womb, I've been going on 65, honestly, 65. <laughs> in my soul. Wow. Again, I can't speak to that. I don't actually have the experience of being 65 unless you believe in past lives, which I don't necessarily. But if you believe in past lives, then maybe that makes sense. Um, nah, I just feel like I've always been an old soul. I just feel like I've been always too tired for this shit. Even when I was seven. <laughs> Even when I was seven, I was always just like, I just, I'm too old for this. I just, I can't keep up with all these people. So, yes, I, I think for a long time I've felt just kind of old on the inside. I have had many people tell me in my life, like, oh, you're not naive necessarily, but that there's like a youngness to me in a lot of ways. Although I have found myself more recently being at work or I work at a restaurant, my day job, being like, yeah, I'm too old for this shit. I'm too mm. old to like do a double, for instance. Like, I just my mental and physical capacity like cannot take it anymore. I could do it all day long when I was in my 20s, but now that I'm in my 30s, I just don't want to anymore. I'm over it. <laughs> so I appreciate that part of aging very much and that I'm more sure of myself now than I ever have been. Do I feel my age? Sadly. Yes, sometimes. <laughs> but it sounds like that is a positive thing for the most part. I think it's part. a net positive. Yeah, okay. it's it's positive more than negative for sure. Would I like to be 25 and, you know, not have a- wrinkles or gray hair? <laughs> yes. But here we are. I, I'm really mixed on that. I don't want to go back to 25. Yeah, I know 25 who I mean. 25 I hear you. And yeah. I'm I hear you. much happier to be the me now That's than the true. me I was at 25. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like for me, it's uh, also, I kind of felt older, and I feel like maybe I've sort of caught up to the age that I always felt that I was. But then at the same time, I look around at my peers and I think, oh, you're all so much older and more mature than I am. 
Maybe because I hang I've out with you, you two young kids. I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, it's really I've, interesting. Yeah, Jace, because I've known you from like 29 to almost 39 now. And just like seeing the difference between where you were then and where you are now in what many ways. What do you see, Emily? Spill the tea. Well, Let's hear it. No, I mean, I think Jace is like more sure of himself, but he's also taken on a lot of responsibility. And I do see that weighing on you in a way that is different than it once was not in a bad way not in a bad way just you like have like priorities that are more set in stone whereas once upon a time you were like i'm interested in doing this i'm interested in doing that you still are in a lot of ways but you like have narrowed your (laughs) scope a little bit which i think is fine that's good interesting yeah i feel like maybe i traded certain stresses for other stresses or something like that Sure, i could i I would see that (laughs) So so the point of having this discussion, like the point of all of this is is kind of to point out that your age and the generation you're part of do indicate some trends that you and your peers may fall into, but it doesn't mean that that's who you are and that like, oh, millennials are this, so therefore you are exactly this, or boomers are this, so you are exactly this, or Gen X or Gen Z or whatever it is. And so I just want us to all... Keep that in mind as we're moving forward. And this is really, I think, true of any kind of sort of psychological or sociological research done on large groups is that it's all averages. And it's important to identify where that gives us useful information and where it doesn't. And it's that thing of it gives us useful information in terms of looking at trends, maybe identifying some influences just from from our peer groups and from society on us based on our generation and our age. But it doesn't mean that you are exactly this way, and it doesn't mean that someone else is always going to be that way. They may be completely not any of the things their generation is supposed to be in terms of whatever their priority or the way they live their life or anything like that. So just something to keep in mind. And that brings us also to the topic of ageism, And just to kind of keep that in mind also as we're going through this, this episode is not specifically about ageism, but that's obviously part of it. You know, that's that's always going to be there. Ageism can be discrimination against people who are younger. It can be against people who are older. It really varies based on the situation. But just keep that in mind with all of this and avoid prejudging people based on their age or making assumptions about them based on their age or their generation as we're going through this, right? Like think of these more as sort of starting points for better understanding people, not a way of putting them into boxes and prejudging them beforehand. So we're going to talk about generations, different generations and age. Cause yeah, I don't know too terribly much except for my own personal biases regarding like baby boomers and stuff like that. So we're going to get into the thick of it a bit here. So we have a lot of stats coming at you. They are from several articles and studies, including a study, Decline in Sexual Frequency Among American Adults from San Diego State, Changes in American Adult Sexual Behavior and Attitudes from the Archives of Sexual Behavior, and finally, a study from AARP, among many others. All right. So we're going to go from youngest to oldest here, and we'll start out with Gen Z. And mostly just starting out with a disclaimer that we're not really going to be talking about Gen Z very much in this episode. And part of the reason for that, to be honest, is just that the age range of Gen Zers right now is from 6 to 24 years old. So the majority of that age group is underage, which just is not the demographic for this show, and just like not in the dating scene, right? So it's just, we are a relationship podcast, so we are a little bit more focused on the adult groups. But just for you who are curious, Gen Z is from 1997 to either 2012 or 2015, around that. So roughly, like I said, 6 to 24 years old is kind of who falls into that that age range. Next are millennials, which that's the lovely age range that the three of us are, which is 1981 to 1995. So these people are currently 25 to 40 years old. So millennials are much more inclined to use technology to find romance or sexual partners. That makes sense. I mean, I've found a lot of 
yeah. people online over the years, and I know the two of you have as well. Millennials are more likely to report being okay with premarital sex than earlier generations, but they're also having less sex than previous generations did at their age. That's really fascinating to me. I wonder why that is. And there, there are, are numerous theories. theories. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of theories, but the one that was most consistently named was the increased emphasis on consent and pleasure for both or all parties involved, not just the dude. Love that. <laughs> it is interesting. I, I do wonder, though, if that's really it. And it's one of those things that people have proposed a lot of different things and some of them have kind of been disproven or, you know, have been able to find some statistical way to show that that's not the causation, like that's not related to it. Some examples of that are theories like that increased number of women in the workforce is why we're having less sex or increased numbers of hours at work or increased consumption of pornography. Basically, all of these have been proven as statistically insignificant. Like those are not actually the contributing factors. So that's interesting. We don't really know what it is. Let's see. Another thing is that millennials are more likely to live with a partner outside of marriage. And this is often maintained long term, not just a short term thing before getting married. That that sort of like long time cohabitation without getting married is very uncommon in older generations, but is actually fairly commonplace for millennials. Millennials also show higher rates of safer sex behaviors, so using condoms, getting tested, using birth control, much more so than older generations. And definitely a big factor there is that I think most millennials have grown up with, you know, basically all the the kind of knock-on effect of going through the AIDS crisis and the AIDS epidemic is that that was very much, I think, in the cultural zeitgeist and in public health awareness at the time. And so as a result... I mean, a lot of us got scared out of sex. <laughs> I certainly did. Perhaps, yeah. It has been interesting. I I just finished watching the Halston Netflix series, which oh. takes place mostly in the 70s and 80s. And I also, a few months ago, read a really, really interesting article about specifically the swinger scene in New York in the 70s and 80s. And the recurring themes that I'm seeing is a lot of people are looking back on that time and mentioning, A, no one was afraid of Coke, and B, no one was afraid of STIs. Mm. And because of that, everyone just went freaking wild. I mean, I say everyone that's painting with a broad brush, but it is really interesting to think about a time when this sense of risk that I think most of us millennials had engendered in us very much between all of our anti-drug programs. And yeah, we're all scared of like, risk about everything right. like millennials are. You know, and to think about being a young person of a previous generation when that wasn't as much the case is really, really fascinating to think about. And again, uh, this may be a part of a larger just trend away that millennials have, just away from risky behaviors in general. So I'm going to give you a quote from Jeffrey Arnett, who is a research professor at Clark University. And Jeffrey says, it's not only that millennials have fewer sexual partners than the baby boomers did, but they also drink less, they smoke less, the crime rate is half now than it was 20 years ago, teenage pregnancy has plummeted. It's part of this broader pattern of less risky behavior, which is fascinating because I, I think that part of the cultural narrative around any younger generation is always that the newest generation is more irresponsible, more risky, mm. you know, like more crime, more teenage pregnancy, when the statistics show that that's not exactly the case. An interesting example of that that came up in the research specifically about Gen Z, and again, we're not going to get into this a lot, but that so far, I mean, they're still pretty young, but that fiscally, like personal finance-wise, they are much more, I, I guess, conservative and responsible than we are, and previous generations were. And so it's like, maybe that's kind of their version of more risk-averse, more trying to be They've safer. Because they're seeing... I will teach you to be rich. <laughs> right, right. Because they're seeing, you know, the financial struggles of their parents who are Gen X. And so it's kind of interesting how the generations also are kind of staggered like that, right? The, there's this millennial to boomer connection, and then there's this Gen Z to Gen X connection, because that's the parents and the kids. Just something I hadn't really considered before. 
And also, millennials, regardless of their personal status, are more accepting of consensual non-monogamy, and they're also more likely to have participated in some form of consensual non-monogamy at some point in their lives. So we're moving on to Gen X now, which is 1965 to 1980. These people are around 41 to 56 years old right now. So there's a lot less data about Gen X right now, for whatever reason, but they are twice as likely to primarily communicate with romantic interests via texts compared to boomers. And this is from AARP, which I love, because (laughs) AARP I always like think of as like you get an AARP catalog or whatever when you're old. It's a rite of passage, man. It's an institution. Yeah. It is, yes. (laughs) Yes, quite. I do wonder why there's less information about Gen X. Was Gen X a smaller generation? It is. So that's Hmm. part of it. So let me actually hit you with some numbers here. I'll go back to Gen Z. There's estimated to be about 68 million Gen Zers. And I think that this is just in the United States. I'm not sure about that. But more important is kind of relative numbers than absolute numbers. 68 million. That's not even that many. 68 million versus 72 million. And then Gen X is 65. So they're even smaller even than lower. than the Gen Z. And then boomers are 71.6. So there's actually wow. just slightly more millennials than boomers alive today, but we're basically neck and neck, like right around 72 million versus 68 for Gen Z and then only 65 for Gen X. Gen X also, the time period is, uh, I think, a little bit shorter than some of the other. years. Yeah. yeah, that's not very long. Versus the boomers is like an 18-year range and millennials, I think is, that one's really only like a 15-year age range. So yeah. it's kind of, they, they vary. It's not like a uniform amount of time for each one. So Gen X still reads newspapers, magazines, listens to the radio and watches TV. About 165 hours worth of TV a month. Maybe I watched them. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so at Time all. It. My See goodness. if you can total it up. Wow, yeah. I'm probably on my phone that much, that's for sure, but I don't know about TV. <laughs> However, they're also digitally savvy and spend roughly seven hours a week on Facebook, which is the highest of any generational cohort. Wow, that's interesting. It doesn't surprise they're- me, though. Yeah, I think what's what's... Kind of the takeaway, though, with all of this in terms of how it relates to, you know, relationships and dating as well is is essentially just that much like what defines the identity of Generation X, which is being lost between two really big generations, is that they are kind of like the middle ground between the two, where they're a lot Mm. more comfortable and a lot more technically savvy than boomers are, but not as much as millennials, right? And they're more likely to use something like Facebook and have one social media account versus millennials who are likely to have several different social media accounts on different platforms. You know, like still reading newspapers and magazines and watching real TV. I think that's the part here. It's actual TV and not Netflix, like that they're still consuming more actual TV. So it is kind of this like bridge between the two other generations. So that is something I didn't know actual TV still existed. I know. (laughs) know, My mom... My mom still watches actual Isn't TV. Isn't that outlawed? Isn't that illegal? Yeah. yeah it's, no, my... It's pretty amazing. My parents have a setup for being able to stream actual TV, you know, with okay. all the ads ah. and all the actual TV stuff, but it's still through the, like, Amazon Fire Stick. So it's, you know, they just need... They need to have that live TV experience. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to our last generation for this section, which is boomers. Boomies, as Emily likes to say. So this goes from 1946 to 1964. Boomers today are between 57 and 75 years old. So of the generations, unsurprisingly, they're the least likely to use technology to meet someone, you know, for dating. They prefer to meet through friends or chance meetings, things like that. Maybe this is an area where I also kind of identify with Gen X to, again, kind of being the like middle ground when it comes to the online dating versus meeting in person and leaning toward huh. that more. I don't know. Anyway, also, this I thought was interesting is one of the studies talked about boomers being less focused on marriage than Gen X. And what I'm curious about is if that's more of a general you know, trend for that whole generation, or if it's just because now it's like been there, done that. 
don't care anymore. Or if it is more because boomers were also like the free love generation. And so maybe that had an influence on the way they approached marriage that then the Gen Xers kind of swung back. I'm not sure. That's an interesting thing to look at. I read a study and unfortunately, I I don't have it pulled up, so I can't exactly cite it. But that basically the takeaway was that among boomers, men who are like now again in this like 57 to 75 year range and who most likely have already had a divorce or a couple divorces at this point, men were much more likely to want to get married again and cohabit again. And hmm. boomer women were much less likely <laughs> to want to get married and cohabit again. Yeah. That, well, I'm not going to take care of you. Yeah, that that, that was kind of the takeaway or the theory huh. anyway, is that a lot of women are like, I've already been there, done that with like taking care of a man child and I don't want to go there again. Uh, also, a study about sexual activity amongst generations showed lower rates of masturbation compared to other generations but similar rates of other types of sex. And that's something that came up actually in a number of the studies was just that all of the generations are having sex and and that really millennials are the ones doing less of it. But just that that doesn't really decline as much with age as I think people tend to think that it does or kind of the stereotype is. So that was interesting that that came up a lot in these. However, the number of individuals who report actively dating does decrease with age within the boomers group, which makes sense if you think about from 57 to 75 years old, you know, that that's a pretty big age range and that coincides with like retirement, like they're kind of bridging that gap right now. And so that kind of makes sense that that might be declining with that. However, a study of gay men or men who have sex with men showed essentially no decline at all in, in like the number of sexual partners and the types of sex across all of the generations. So it really, again, like they're still having sex, but maybe dating might be decreasing a little bit. Maybe it's all just hookups as you get older. Yeah, speaking of hookups, boomers are less likely to practice safer sex, and some studies have shown concerns about high rates of STIs in middle-aged and older adults, particularly in the swinger community. And also, this reminds me of this episode of The Daily that was talking about retirement communities in Florida and how they've just like had massive, you know, amounts of STI yeah, resurgences come out now yeah, and then, yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that is really fascinating. Everyone's just like getting down in those retirement communities. <laughs> when asked if committed couples should be monogamous, 85% of boomers versus 63% of millennials stated that they should be. So even though everyone's having sex, they still think that people should be monogamous? Okay. Well, committed. Tied to the, the idea of commitment. I right? see. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, that's the nice question idea. of like, what is commitment? It is monogamy or is it not necessarily? I think that's kind of the question, again, just sort of as a trend. And I think this is relevant when we think about dating. If you are non-monogamous and you're a boomer or wanting to date boomers, that just kind of realizing that societally and socially, there may be less acceptance of that and um, potentially more pressure to stay, you know, in the closet about that or to be less public about it or to be more private in dating profiles or in approaching people or things like that. So I think that's kind of why that's relevant and useful to to sort of be aware of that 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 can be an extra challenge. So with all of these numbers, the actual amounts of non-monogamous people are likely much higher than are reported. So people aren't necessarily saying that they're non-monogamous or have been in non-monogamous relationships even though they probably are or have been. Yeah, there was one one statistic that was just a little hard to put into a nice soundbite that but that was talking about in retirement homes kind of the number of people putting like other for their type of relationship as sort of this secret See, like exactly maybe, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. I also I think this was an article on NPR that I read a, a long time ago. I'm sorry I didn't come more prepared to this episode so I could cite my sources. You just have to trust me. You have to trust me. But yeah, it was about this public health official who was going around kind of doing workshops and giving presentations specifically about sex in retirement communities and in retirement homes. And she was talking about how, of course, there's a problem because 
there's this big denial that older people have sex or want to have sex. And she shared this story of showing up to this convention, basically as a convention of different people who are managing retirement homes and nursing homes and things like that. And she started out her talk asking, so how many of you out there know that like there's sex happening in your retirement homes? And the only people who raised their hands and were honest were like three nuns who like ran a Catholic retirement oh home. <laughs> they had to they had to tell the truth. They had to tell the truth, which I thought was go. pretty funny. That's hysterical. That's wow. funny. Yeah. yeah. We're going to be transitioning into talking about age gaps and age differences in relationships. But first, we're going to take a quick break to talk about the sponsors for this week's episode. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners you can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com adammail.com or evestoys.com and select any one item it can be you know an adventurous new toy or anything you desire something fun something sexy whatever sounds good so just enter offer code multi at checkout and you'll get 50 percent off almost any item plus free shipping that's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. Let's talk about age gaps in relationships. Ooh. What you got? What's the biggest age gap you've had? Oh, 11 uh, years? 11 for me, too. Huh. Oh, both of you are 11 years? Yeah, yeah not Wild. with each other. We're only six years apart. No, no, but... no. I, I know. But okay, was it with someone 11 years older than you, younger older. than you? Older. What? Yeah. Well, I'm curious because I think there's kind of two different metrics here. So 11 years is like your biggest gap with someone who's older than you. What about your biggest gap with someone younger than you? Probably. Five or five? five Maybe six or seven. Okay, gosh. Yeah. Y'all have a much bigger range than I do. Oh, really? What's well. yours? What's your max and min? I think my max and min. Your min max, yeah. <laughs> um, with someone younger than me, probably a max of maybe four years, three okay. or four years. And older than me, yeah, maybe eight or nine, I would say. I guess I, okay. I, guess I date within a, a smaller window. Now, yeah, age ranges so. that I've been attracted to... And I'm not going to talk about being attracted to people significantly younger than me because that's a little gross. I'm going to talk about being attracted to people significantly older than me. I've had a very wide range up there, surprising even to myself. God, I'm assuming we're just talking about Sean Connery, right? Well, yeah. (laughs) He's like, when I think of that kind of like much older man. No, not just... Not just celebrities, though. I mean, also in real life. Like, actually, a few years ago, I was taking a dance class. I was taking a a five rhythms dance class that I frequented often. And yeah, there was a man in that class. I'd probably put him in his late 60s, early 70s, actually. And we danced together a few times. And I actually was really surprised. Like, wow, this guy's actually really attractive. You know, I like actually found it quite compelling. I didn't act on it necessarily. But I I did surprise myself. I was like, that's cool. I'm into that. Why not? Humans are great. Yeah, they are. So what was funny in putting this section of the episode together and trying to just kind of come up with a quick list of what are some of the challenges that can come up with relationships where there's a bigger age gap, and then also what are some of the potential benefits of that? And they ended up being essentially the same list, which was really interesting. And it's essentially that these differences that come up like can be a pro or a con. Maybe mm-hmm. both. I would actually argue probably a lot of times both, that some of the differences can also be the the benefit as well as something that can be a challenge. 
So we'll go into all of these in more depth, but just to kind of give you a general sense of what we're talking about here, it's things like potentially having very different cultural touch points and maybe not understanding each other's cultural references. Could be very different preferences in terms of things like movies and music or or Netflix versus real TV. Maybe being in different phases in your life in terms of those different priorities, different focuses. Potentially a power imbalance or a privilege imbalance. And that's not unique to age, but that's just another area where that can show up. Uh, differences in levels of self-confidence just based on the amount of life experience. I know that came up both for Emily and myself, even just talking about you know ourselves aging and noticing how that changes. Differences in energy levels and sex drive. And then also potentially peers having a hard time accepting this relationship. So those are kind of a list of things that a lot of those can kind of be good or bad. I guess the peers not accepting it's pretty much only a negative. But let's let's start getting into this. Yeah, so some things to bear in mind if you are currently in or considering or looking at an age gap relationship, the first thing is that privilege or power imbalance. It's really important to take stock, be honest with yourself about the privilege that you have or the power that you have, have a conversation with your partners about it, listen to your partner's experience of that, especially if you are the one who's holding more privilege. And this could look a variety of ways. Like maybe you are older and therefore you have more resources. Maybe you have a more established career. Maybe you have more money. Maybe you have more connections potentially. And so that puts you in a position of having more power than maybe your younger partner who is in a different phase of life and doesn't have those things or isn't pursuing those things in the same way. Or you could be in a position where you're younger and maybe because of ageism in the particular community that you move in, your older partner is actually a little bit disadvantaged in certain situations. There's probably not necessarily going to be a one-stop shop across the board painting with a broad brush sense of like always one person has the power and one person doesn't. But it is really important to examine that and assess that and have some honest conversations about that. We really recommend if you just Google the wheel of power or the wheel of privilege, there's an illustrator, Sylvia Duckworth, who made this really, really fascinating wheel so that you can look at things like my citizenship, my gender, my sexuality, my age, my body size, my wealth, to have a sense of just where you fall. And again, this isn't necessarily a hierarchical thing. It's a little bit more of a web and a little bit more of a spectrum. And If you are in an age gap relationship and you're finding a particular area where you're the one with less privilege, you can lovingly talk about that. You can lovingly talk to someone about them having more privilege than you do. It is possible to love someone, be compassionate for them, and also hold them accountable or also point things out to them at the same time that maybe they wouldn't be aware of because they have more privilege. Yeah, I think maybe it goes with kind of the privilege that comes with being older of maybe this assumption that like, well, you're just wiser. It's like, well, no, don't let yourself, I guess, hide in the background or think like, oh, I'm old and irrelevant. So I can't, you know, whichever it is, speak up, right? Like make sure that your partner hears that from you because if they care about you, they don't want to be, you know, hurting you that way. And having two different generational idea structures, I think is really nice. Like I love when my mom tells me that, like, I teach her a ton about so many things just because I'm coming from, like, my personal perspective. And then, of course, I get to hear her perspective, and that teaches me a ton of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's good to have both. Yeah, totally. Okay, next one is about being in different phases in your life. And with this one, basically, it's to sit down and consider your reasons for wanting to be kind of in relationships in general, as well as this specific one, and your expectations for the relationship. And we're talking things like kids, marriage, retirement, cohabitation. I mean, if you're less relationship escalatory, it may not quite be so much of a like this, 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 then this. But there's still things to consider of like, well, I would really like to find someone to live with. Versus someone else might be like, I never want to live with someone again. And to have those conversations up front be clear. Maybe you don't need to rush to those on the first date. (laughs) That can be a little bit overwhelming to just be like, so what do you think? Are we eventually going to move in together or not? Uh, But (laughs) 
be aware of these and have those conversations as you go on. So some things to consider is just more general questions, not just of like, do you want to have kids together someday, but just do you ever want to have children? Or do you ever want to have more children if if they already have children? How soon? When do you imagine that happening in your life? I remember with my experience dating someone who was 11 years older than me, at the time I was in my 20s and she was in her 30s. And for her, there was kind of this thing of, I might like to have more kids, but that's going to be fairly soon. And for me, it was like, I'm, that's not something I'm ready to do yet. And so you know, that was something that we did luckily talk about that kind of earlier on. And so that was kind of a conversation that we could have rather than it being something that just sits in the background or leads to frustration. Another question is like, do you want to live with a partner? What are your life goals for the next 10 years? I know that sounds like such a school guidance counselor kind of question, but if you think about it kind of more generally of like, what is your goal in the next 10 years? Because the goal of well, I want to finish school and go to grad school and get a PhD is a very different set of priorities than I want to, you know, be settling down and buy a house and have kids, or I want to be sure that my retirement's in place so that I can retire and not be stressed about money, right? Like this very different life goals. And so asking that might be helpful. I think this is something that the three of us don't think about or talk about very often because this is not the season of life that we are in, but there is the season of life of I need care, Mm -hmm. you know, because of aging, injury, illness, chronic illness, potentially, or literally just getting old, you know, that you can be heading into that particular season of life of needing a partner or multiple partners, potentially, that are willing to provide care as well. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing to keep in mind is non-monogamy and polyamory can also change this specifically when it comes to life goals, that if someone has a different life goal than you, you don't necessarily have to be the only person who could fulfill that with them, right? Say if it's about kids, one of you could have a partner where you are interested in having kids and the other one doesn't need to necessarily, or things like cohabiting or whatever. Versus in a monogamous relationship, that can be a little bit more of a challenge, that sort of life stage difference of that like, well, if we're going to be together, but you want these and I want this other thing, that's that's more challenging to navigate. So that's just a consideration to keep in mind where um, non-monogamy can actually be really helpful with stuff like that. Something to think about is that generational differences will come up. So it's important to just kind of come up with ways to deal with that. There's a quote from Zon Villaness, an article from goodtherapy.com, and they said, No matter how understanding you are, it's likely that you're going to bump up against some generational differences. You might have different political views, find each other's music obnoxious, or have no understanding of historical events that profoundly influenced your partner's life. Bridge this difference by probing deeper and making a concerted effort to understand your partner's viewpoint. A big age difference provides you with valuable opportunities to learn about alternative perspectives and experience. I agree with that very much. I mean... Yeah, I'm not dating anyone much older, but again, I'll use my mom as a reference. Like she always talks about when she marched on the Vietnam War and stuff. And like, <laughs> but it's true. It's like it's fun to hear about those things, and and she can also like hear about what I'm going through currently in my life, and that is lovely to get both of those perspectives. Yeah, I think that's such a good example of the way that all of these are kind of the advantage and also the challenge at the same time. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, having that very different perspective on something is great, but can also be a challenge when it means you're butting heads on making a decision or what your values are or something like that. So we encourage y'all to not make the age gap the central part of the relationship, but also don't just try to ignore it entirely either. Uh, Unless you're specifically practicing a fetish or a kink relationship with an age aspect, age play in and of itself, whether that's like using someone's real ages or fantasy ages, that's a whole other arena that we are not experts in. And so we're not going to dive into that. You know, many of these same things will apply, but it will probably be negotiated in a slightly different way that allows that dynamic to continue you know, but in an enjoyable way for everybody involved, hopefully. It's important to negotiate boundaries and your ways of navigating things. So for instance, if you're in college and your partner's in a high-paying salary job, you know, 
You may navigate different ways of splitting up finances. They may pay for dinner most of the time, or you may split your finances based on income percentages. You may decide not to use particular pet names with each other because depending on the age gap, it may come across as infantilizing to somebody. You know, there's definitely things that you can still consider. You can still kind of honor what the age gap means without making it the central facet of your relationship. So if the two of you disagree and it will happen, or you're frustrated with one another, avoid the temptation of blaming each of your ages for it. We've seen some like age gap relationships where age is frequently blamed for conflict or used in a way to kind of prove why one person is right and the other is wrong because, you know, you're too young or you're too old and you don't understand what I'm going through or something along those lines. You've this one I that? see come up a lot, especially mm-hmm. when someone's dating someone younger than them, of just kind of any sort of annoyance or difference in values or something. It's like, ugh, they're just so young. Like, they just don't get it. Like, they haven't learned yet. Like, eventually they'll come around to my way of thinking. They're just young. And it just, that's not helpful. That doesn't help you understand each other. Doesn't make you feel any better. Definitely doesn't make them feel better. And it's not going to pave the way to you building a better relationship. So just really really watch out for that. I've just really seen that poison some relationships. This is kind of a fun exercise. You can prepare to answer some questions from your peers and from their peers. So no matter if your partner is older or younger than you, expect to receive some criticism from others at some point, and you can do your best to kind of prepare for that ahead of time. So you can anticipate things like small jabs or inconsiderate remarks or direct criticism or accusations. That's kind of nice. Like have some canned responses, Mm -hmm. you know, beforehand for that, or just try to think up like, Hey, maybe something is going to come up and, you know, a small jab about how young I am or how old they are or something along those lines. And it's good to kind of have a response for that just so that it doesn't catch you off guard in the moment. Right, because it's real easy to just get defensive or upset yeah. about those things in the moment. Yeah. I don't know if I would call that like a fun exercise, Emily. That's kind of more... <laughs> it could be well, fun. If, <laughs> you know, yeah. You can make it well, fun. If, exactly. I mean, come on, we all, all of us, every single one of us has had that experience of looking back on a moment and being like, oh, I, I could have said, said this super witty yeah. retort. Exactly. You know, so you get exactly. to have that fun up front. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Those witty retorts are fun when, when you get to actually say them, but so often we don't. <laughs> so can your responses and have them ready. Yeah. I would say maybe focus less though on the witty retort and more just on a simple but polite response that's going to shut it down and kind of. That's, that's good. That's the good. Good, good cop. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good cop take on it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, another thing. He to- speaks with the wisdom of his years, clearly. Oh, there you go. I know. Yeah. He's six years older than we are. So. <laughs> uh, so, another one is to have a really honest conversation with your partner to make sure that you're also not ending up isolated from your support network and your friends and your, your social group. And this can happen when there's a large age gap where one partner or potentially both partners, peer groups might not like, it's like, don't bring that old person around to hang out with us. Or like, she why is. are you bringing, is it like bring your kid to work day? Like, what's the deal? Like, you know, these are the, the kinds of jobs. Now. Yeah, <laughs> right. These are the types of jobs to prepare for. But no, but seriously though, this can be really negative where both of you just end up totally isolated where it's like, well, we can't hang out with any of our friends anymore. Or where one person kind of loses access to their peer group because the peer group doesn't want their partner around. And so you end up just hanging out with one person's other, you know, friends and acquaintances and things. And that's not a great situation to be in either. So it's just something to really be aware of and to make sure that you're not ending up in a situation where one or both of you is is kind of being isolated from your other network. And, and we talk about on this show in general, but just don't always assume that if I'm going to be social, it has to be with my partner you know, that you can also have some separate social lives as well. Just just something to keep in mind. And I think that should be an ongoing conversation. Which brings us to our last hot tip. And this is the hottest tip of all of them. Just do a freaking radar. Go listen to our radar episode and do a radar. Having that intentional space, like once a month to do a check-in or however often you want to do it, is really useful because it helps you do that thing of acknowledging these, checking in on them, adapting and changing as things go. So maybe you you didn't 
worry about being called baby before, but then after a while it starts to feel like, ah, oh, like I feel like you're calling me baby, like it feels weird now. You know, it gives you a chance to talk about those things and evolve as they come up without having to just constantly be talking about them, which helps to go back to what we said before about not making age the focal point of the relationship, but also not ignoring it. So having that container of radar can be a really good way to do that. Wow. This has been quite a journey through the years. (laughs) Through the many ages and many generations. Yes. So we're going to go on and record a bonus episode for our patrons where we're going to be talking about the whole half your age plus seven years rule. Y'all are familiar with that one, right? No. Oh, really? Supposedly the rule is to calculate the youngest below your age that you should, quote, you know, should date is half your age plus seven. And the idea is that kind of as you get older the amount younger than you increases. And similarly, like the inverse of it, which is to subtract seven from your age and multiply it by two to figure out kind of the oldest range is the corollary of it. Anyway, we're going to look at this in a lot more detail in our bonus episode, as well as some studies talking about it. So that's going to be fun. The Dedeker's sitting there thinking through the math. Trying yeah, to I, know, calculate. I need to like to pull out my calculator here. So we'll, we'll do all that in the bonus episode. We hope that you will become a patron and join us for that. We would also love to hear from you. What's the largest age gap that you've ever had in a relationship? Post that on our Instagram, where we'll be posting that question. And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or our Discord chat. You can get access to both of these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our research assistant for this episode is M. Mays. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.